Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Let's stay standing um, as Leanne comes and reads from God's Word. We're in Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles in the seats in front of you. And this is on page 812. Uh, we encourage you to follow along, whether in your copy or that copy in the seat in front of you. Okay. Okay, today's passage is short but very powerful. It says, And when Jesus finished saying, I'm sorry, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Amen. Thank you, Lord, again for your word. Um, help us, help us to, to, to see who you are and, and, to, and to be obedient to what your word has to say. In your name, amen. All right, you can be seated. If you, if you haven't noticed, uh, in reading these two verses, we've, we've skipped a, a pretty significant event in Jesus' life, a pretty ex- a significant portion of the scriptures, the Sermon on the Mount, right? Um, well, let me just... Flat out say it, we aren't skipping it. We, in fact, we're gonna be taking probably the next four to five months to study the three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but, but what we're gonna do today um, is, is we're gonna start at the end. Um, now, now, why in the world would we do that? And on what authority do we do that? Well, the, the Bible's here. It's, it's complete, it's full, and uh, we've got some liberty here to, to understand what it is that's about to happen in the sermon. And so we're going we're gonna to take our time through this. But, but what's important to, to acknowledge um, as we come to the Sermon on the Mount um, and, and even these, these two short verses today is that up to this point, the deity and the sonship of Jesus has been declared about him, that it's been, it's been declared by kind of, kind of outside of him, declared about him. So Jesus is the king. He, he is the son of God. You have, you have Matthew, the author of the book, declaring who Jesus is. You, you even have an angel come from heaven declaring who Jesus is going to be. Um, and and, and you, have, you have wise men and you have Herod acknowledging who Jesus is in some way, not maybe out of, with Herod not out of surrender, but he's heard who, who this guy is. And so he's responding to what's been said about him. Um, John the Baptist declares something pretty significant about Jesus. And then you have like God the Father and God the Spirit from heaven saying, here's who Jesus is. The Father says, this is my beloved Son. The Holy Spirit falls upon Jesus and, and affirms Jesus is, is the Son of God. Um, and, then, and then, as Kevin so powerfully put it a couple weeks ago, Satan or, or Stan, um, like he said, uh, some of you weren't, may have not been here, everybody was sick. So um, this funny thing happens with, with devices. When you type in Satan, it wants to switch it back to Stan. Um, and so like I've sent out emails before typing Satan and it says Stan. And I'm like, I really hope somebody's dad in here is not named Stan uh, because we said something really mean about him. Um, and so as Kevin really powerfully put it for us, it's Satan himself who comes to the desert to battle with Jesus, isn't it? Like Satan doesn't send, you know, Satan doesn't send legions. Satan doesn't send uh, demons or minions. Like Satan knows if he's gonna take Jesus down, he's gotta go He's got to go straight out to him. 
And so Satan is who comes out. And so aside from the baptism of Jesus, it, it doesn't really seem until right before the Sermon on the Mount that the world really begins to, to see who Jesus is for themselves. Like they've heard it, but Jesus is starting to heal people. And so they're like, okay, like maybe, maybe something's true about what everybody's saying, or at least something's going on, right? And so you and I and, and the world today are, are really uniquely positioned with, with hindsight about Jesus. Um, that's, that's not something we're necessarily drawn from the text, which is just like a matter of fact. We, we are, in fact, the scriptures actually do say that. Paul talks about that later, that, that, that we can see something that the people before Jesus weren't able to see. We, we know something about Jesus that, that they didn't even know. Like, we've seen this happen. We are aware of what has happened in a, in a real way. And so I want us to start our journey through the Sermon on the Mount by beginning at the end, the end of chapter seven. And so by the time that we reach the end of Jesus' sermon, the authority of Jesus, this, this means something for us, the, the authority of Jesus moves beyond something merely being declared about him to something observed and experienced and witnessed. Like we can, we can see it, we, we feel it. So it's been declared and, and, and now we see it for ourselves. And, and that's what I think Matthew's trying to draw attention to at the end of this, of, of this sermon passage in, in his gospel. And so we're, we're seeing this. And so imagine being in the crowd while Jesus is preaching this sermon. You have a, you have a teacher pulling people in to teach them something. This, is, this isn't that uncommon of a scene, by the way. This is, this is not something that's, that's overly uncommon, like a, like a rabbi bringing people in to teach. And, and here you've got Jesus, who's, who's not just teaching people in his school, but he's, from what the beginning of the sermon says, he's teaching a lot of people. He's teaching his disciples. He's teaching people in the crowds. He's, uh, there's, there, there seems to be Pharisees and, and religious leaders in this crowd. So like he's teaching everyone. So this is not that uncommon of a scene. And, and in fact, some of the language that Jesus is gonna use in the sermon, particularly the, the, the Beatitudes, the, the, the blessed are section, particularly some of that, the, the language that Jesus uses is actually not that uncommon. I don't know if Jesus, I don't know if we could say Jesus borrows from, from, the, from, the, from the, the culture around him in these times, but, but people have heard blessings uh, declared over them before, before Jesus. Um, and so the, the language is not completely foreign, but as the sermon progresses, just kind of picture yourself, as this sermon progresses, people begin to, to really be gripped by what Jesus is is saying, and they're becoming moved. I imagine, and I think we could assume safely that that, that some begin feeling angry and uncomfortable. Uh, we we because we know uh, that that all of this wasn't received with joy and obedience because because from here things are not going to get easier for Jesus, are they? And so, I mean, this is kind of like the the foundation of of the of the not the foundation of Jesus being the Son of God is the foundation, but in regards to the teaching of Jesus, this is. This is the most significant piece of, of, of I I, the word just completely slips my mind, the, 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 the most significant thing that, that Jesus is going to say, like it's a defining moment. Nadine, what was it? What am I looking for? What? Pickle? Pinnacle. Yeah, or, or pickle. I mean, he kind of gets in the pickle. Um, anyways, you kind of see what I'm saying. And so we know that from here, 
not everything that, that, that Jesus teaches and proclaims is received really well. Can we, can we agree with that? I mean, he, he does end up dying because of a lot of things that he says and the things that he, that he proclaims. And so, however, Jesus had this, this really captivating effect on those who heard. And what was that effect? Well, the text tells us. Let's just look down at the, at the scripture again. 7, 28 and 29. What was that effect? It says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Now, over the next little bit, as we, the next few, few months, as we really dig into the sermon, we're gonna, we're gonna get into some of the specifics of that. We're gonna get into some of the specifics of that, but we're just kind of pulling out, like looking up, looking high up above what's going on, and we're making some, some observations today. And so, I think what's important to see is that, that these words, the words that Jesus says, are, are not what give Jesus authority. Jesus' authority is what gives these words power, right? You see what I'm saying there? Now, the words are authoritative, but it's not like th- these words were Jesus, like now that he said these, he's now authoritative. No, I mean, Matthew comes out of the gate in his book, saying Jesus is the king. I mean, he's, he's the Lord. So, so from here, no matter what he says, we listen. And so it's not the words that give Jesus authority. It's the words, the words are not what validate Jesus. It is, as we said, the already established kingship and sonship of Jesus, established in Matthew 1, throughout the beginning chapters, that validates whatever come, comes next, or in this text, whatever precedes it. And this is the case, especially for us today, who live on this side of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that, that we know what has happened with the life of Jesus. I mean, there's, there's, there's evidence, there's historical evidence. Uh, there is, there's all sorts of evidence for what has happened. Jesus is a, is a certain historical figure that that's not argued by much. Now, what exactly happened after that there's, is debated. But what we believe and confess here is that Jesus lived, died, was buried, he resurrected, and he ascended where he reigns today at the right hand of the Father. And so the crowds are finally starting to discover who Jesus is. We see that. We see that in this text. Okay, like something's clicking with them. What Matthew believes of greatest importance here is the impact and the authority of Jesus himself. I mean, the, the sermon wraps up and Matthew wants us to see people were captivated by this teaching. They were captivated by it. Jesus isn't teaching the way that other teachers taught. This was something much different. And it seems that they are captivated by, by him. They're, they're captivated by, by, by him. His words, yes. Obviously, what Jesus says in this is, as we're gonna see, is, is a little bit uncomfortable for even, for even for us. But Jesus was this earth-shaking figure who spoke with a kind of, of authority and gravitas that, that people had, had not seen Elsewhere, And so this is exactly and precisely what Matthew is wanting us to see, that though Jesus' teaching captivated the crowds, his, his authority was what astonished them. His authority astonished them, and, and his teaching is what ultimately gets him killed. And the reason for this is, is because there's a lot of people, you, you see people being astonished here, but you know what, if you know the rest of the story, you know what happens to Jesus. You know what ends up happening to Jesus. And, and I think the reason for this, one of the, the things that we can observe about this is that there's a lot of people who are, who are observers of the authority of Jesus. They, they sat in the crowd and heard the authoritative teaching of Jesus. 
something happened within their hearts and their minds that they were captivated by the, by the authority of Jesus. But, but what it, what's going to turn out in the Gospel of Matthew is that, that there are a lot of observers of this kind of authority. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of sub, people who are submitted to this authority. There's a lot of people who are not submitted to this kind of authority. And so as we will see, while being astonished is the right reaction to Jesus, submission to him is what we're after. Amen? Submission to him is what we're after. I mean, Kevin, Kevin just laid this out so well last week. He, he said, we, we asked the question, what would Jesus do? But so many of us don't, don't wanna know what Jesus actually did. We, we want, I, I, I think he said it, I think he said, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but I've heard it said this way in regards to Paul. Some of us, some of us want a ministry like Paul, but we don't want a suffering like Paul. We, some of us want to, want to follow Jesus. As, as it, some of us want to follow Jesus in the resurrection, in the ascension, but we don't want to follow Jesus in the desert. We don't want to submit our lives to him in this way that actually does something in our life. And so though this section comes after the, ser- the, the sermon, here's, here's, we're trying to set something up here. And today's sermon's a little bit different. Like, you know, you know me, like typically we've got like a few points that come straight from the text. Like we don't have a whole lot of points today. We really don't have any points. We're, we're just trying to like get our hearts right before the Lord. And so the point that I want to, to, to kind of chase today is, is that we would settle in on who Jesus is. That we ourselves would settle in on who Jesus is. Kevin, Kevin said last week, like Jesus is not a good hobby to have. He's just not a good... It's not a good weekend hobby. He is someone that we must submit our entire life to. And so the question that's before us is, how will you respond? This is, I'm putting this in your lap, putting it in my lap. How will we respond to what we are about to study that Jesus says? I gotta tell you, like, I've, like if, if I was ruled by my flesh, there's some things in the Sermon on the Mount that I would, I would probably skip. And, and we'll explain some more of that in just a little bit. It's not gonna be easy. I hope, I hope the Lord refines us. Like, I hope the Lord causes us to, to have some dependence upon him in some areas where we're not dependent. I hope that the Lord brings about some repentance in us in some areas that we're just not willing to even consider. And so it won't be easy. I can promise you this, but I'll, but I'll tell you this. There's, there's, Jesus is gonna comfort us in this. In, in, our, in our prayer gathering guide that we sent out earlier this week, one of our prayers was this. I wish, I'm sorry, I wish I had it on the screen. If you have your phone, I send out an email. You can pull it up. Um, if you don't get our email, sorry, I'll, I'll get this, we'll, we'll get this to you. I'm just gonna read this prayer that we prayed this week as a church. And it actually was, it was, it was one prayer in, 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 in a long list of other prayers, but this prayer was even specifically kind of geared towards where we're about to go. And, it, and, it's, and it just, it's just this. I'm gonna read it verbatim. Ask God to unite us as a church for the sake of our witness in the world. Will you pray for your pastors to not fall into false teaching and temptation and to have a commitment to the truth all of their days, to not shy away from things clearly taught in the scriptures from fear of man? Would you pray for our members to commit themselves to the truth even when it may be uncomfortable? And that our church would not allow culture to dictate what we teach or to impact how something is received when scripture is what speaks the first word about, 
about race, about sexuality, about devotion, about marriage, about abortion, about the Imago Dei, about caring for the poor, about being generous, about justice. We're gonna kind of line these out because already I feel a bit of nervousness. I feel nervousness in me and some of those words you hear and you're just like, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, are we about to just get like reprimanded and you're not. And, and, but I'm gonna make this commitment that we will not allow the culture or the outrage of our culture to dictate what we say. We're gonna say it in a lot of grace. We're gonna say it in a lot of, a lot of mercy. In fact, I'm gonna get into this later, but um, like this is like the fifth version of this sermon that I've, <laughs> that, that I've, that, this is like, the, the, this is like uh, I don't even know how to put it, sermon 5.0, like wrote it on Thursday and then yesterday, like it got scrubbed and kind of rewritten and re- rephrased a lot of different times because, because it started out as like, kind of like word, finger vomit on my computer. And then I was just like, okay, listen, how can we kind of, how can we say this? How can I say this in a way that doesn't sound like I'm attempting to be the Holy Spirit in the, in the lives of our people? Um, and, and so one of, the, one of the dangers that we face is to allow the culture or, or, or the outrage to dictate what we say. And, and all of that in light of submitting ourselves first and foremost to the authority of Jesus. That's what we're putting that up against. So here's the deal. Like, this isn't gonna be a lecture. This isn't gonna be like, step into my office and, and let's have a lecture. One of the commitments I'm gonna make to you in just a little bit is that, is that, is that I, will, I will not attempt to be the Holy Spirit in your life, that I will, I will teach. And so, so let's, let's just kind of talk about this authority issue, about the authority of Jesus and, and submitting ourselves to him. And this is one of the things that I changed. Earlier this week, I put, it, it was more direct, but this is how I wanna, this is how I wanna approach this, is, is by what we are tempted by. Rather than saying, hey, those of you who do this or do that, this isn't what this is. I'm gonna say, hey, a temptation that we face as a, as a people in this, in this time is this. And here's the deal. Man, I've, one, of the, one of the really sad things that I've seen over, over the last couple of years is, is friends of mine. I mean, friends of mine preach from the pulpit um, and, and really just kind of throw like a, like a bunch of stuff. I, I'm not gonna be specific right here, but, but, but throw a bunch of stuff onto their congregation, calling them to repent of this or that and say like, you're guilty of this and you're guilty of that. And it's not, it's, it is sin, but, but it's slanted in, in a way that really the culture is the one speaking to the, to, 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 to the way they they address and apply and interpret these things, and maybe you're completely confused. You won't be in just a minute. Here we go. A temptation that we face is to allow culture to dictate our response to how we seek justice, how we care for the poor, how we view God's design for marriage, how we, how we view God's design for, for gender. Like we're, gonna, we're gonna address some things. By the way, all these things are things that will be addressed in the Sermon on the Mount, and they're all things that have at least explicit or implications from the Sermon on the Mount and even in the broader context of Matthew. And so, so here's, here's an example. It's easy to grow sensitive and cynical on any discussion about justice because of what the culture and oftentimes the political agenda, which is just disgusting, right? Like just the, this the hypocrisy and even like the, the, the hypercritical nature of it, but, but it's easy to grow sensitive 
and cynical on any discussion about justice because of what the culture and agenda-driven politicians have made of this discussion. It's, it's tempting to peg and to fear a pastor being a, a social justice warrior or a false teacher for any mention of justice. When, when if we are submitting ourselves to the word of God, culture is not who says the first word about justice. The scriptures are. Jesus is. I mean, the Old Testament over and over again, talks about God's heart for the, the marginalized and the poor and the, the oppressed. And it's, it's so easy to be so upset about what this guy said or what this guy said that that's kind of our, our framework and our foundation for the way that we respond to any discussion about this. And, and we have completely, we're tempted to completely not allow the scripture to be what has the authoritative word in that. Now, this isn't the only thing that we're going we're gonna to talk about because some have become so sensitive to teaching on God's design for marriage. And, and I know exactly what pops into most of our heads when we hear, I mean, I know what pops into most of our heads. We, we think homosexuality, right? I mean, if, can we be honest? We're, we're going to need a lot of honesty. This, you don't even have to raise your hand. Homosexuality is something that pops into a lot of our minds when we talk about God's design for marriage. You know what doesn't pop into our minds is is pornography, is unfaithfulness, divorce, which divorce is actually something very specifically that Jesus addresses. Some of us have become so sensitive on, to teaching on God's design for marriage and our own opinion on it that any teaching on it within the church gets, gets one labeled a bigot. And I, like, we're just not gonna do that here. Like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna have it. Like, we're gonna show a lot of grace and a lot of love, but like, we're, we're, just, gonna, we're just gonna stay the course and we're gonna say, hey, we're, we are mesmerized by the authority of Jesus. We are astonished by God's better idea for marriage than what ours is. We're gonna say, man, we are, we are just floored and astonished that God would love the people that are hard to love even more than we can even wrap our minds around. We are so astonished by his authority that we know what the culture is gonna do to that. We know what, what sin is going to do to, to, this, to this idea and to this conversation. But we're gonna submit ourselves first and foremost to the word of God. I'll just, the, the, the danger in this temptation is to end up submitting ourselves really in ways that we don't even realize. We submit ourselves to our own outrage over what the culture says and we don't like about it rather than letting the scripture be what guides us as our authority. And so like our whole framework about God's design for marriage is built upon the adverse of what culture communicates. And so everything we believe about God's design is, is kind of built upon what are, we, what are we attacking? What are we going against? Rather than like just saying, hey, like the scripture speaks on this. Like the scripture, the scripture speaks on this. And we're not, gonna, like, we're not gonna be shocked when the world acts like the world. We're not gonna be shocked when sinners sin. We're, we're going we're gonna to submit ourselves to, to the authority of God's word. I'll just, I'll just tell you this. You don't need the culture in order to be offended. The scriptures are going to do that. Scriptures will do that. So these examples, they're important because I really believe this is one subtle way that, that we don't submit to the authority of Jesus. is by allowing culture to dictate how we respond rather than scriptures. And so this is more subtle and maybe more dangerous because we aren't just outright and vocally ignoring the, the voice of God. We're not just, we're not saying, no, I don't submit to the authority of Jesus. Well, because, because so much of what we are 
attacking and so much of what we are is, are actually good things. But the scriptures do teach us, let, let, me just, let me just say this. The scriptures do teach us to be on guard against harmful and false teaching creeping in the church. It's exact like, just, just know this is, what we're, this is what we're committed to. That the scriptures do say to be on guard against false teaching creeping into the church, but this but a constant cynicism and, and indulgence in the outrage and the news cycle really can be dangerous to us. It, it can really be dangerous. Kevin talked about the way that we're being formed, the, the formation that, that, that we are receiving and we don't even really acknowledge it. We just think we're mindlessly scrolling Facebook when that's an algorithm. Like the things that, the things that you're, you're getting out of it are the things like Facebook's watching you, y'all. Like y'all are worried about, you know, Furby watching you through a camera in its head, but like Facebook's doing it. You know, anybody remember Furby? Yeah, remember remember that? Like, oh gosh, we're being watched. You're being watched. <laughs> it's what's important is to understand it's not the culture that dictates what the church says and dictate how you respond, but the scriptures that shape our minds and our positions. There's there's a few things that that we could be really explicit about and, and I'll just like I'll just I'll just say this because I think it's one thing that's very I'm trying to be pastoral here and 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 address some of the things that are on our mind. Hey, from this place right here, we we reject any gospel that, that teaches that salvation comes from anything besides Jesus and repentance of our sin and faith in him. There is no social gospel, no none of that that brings any kind of redemption to our souls. And you're gonna hear that message. That's one, that's one message that the culture is dictating a lot both ways. Some people are falling into it, but some people also are allowing that message to, to really make us sensitive to any teaching on justice. When again, it's not, it's not that line of thinking that gets the first word on this, it's the scripture. So we're, gonna, like, we're just gonna plainly reject it. That's on camera, it's on audio. I don't know, it's, it's out there. If any, of you are, if any of you are mad about it, you can share it and make it go viral. You know, that's, that's the crazy thing about things today. But we're, we're just gonna like, from, from the foundation, re- reject, reject that. I've, but, but I've also told a few people around here, something like this, it, it'll sound familiar to some of you. If you think we're going to preach about fill in the blank, hot topic, you know, every week, you're not at the right place. If you think we're, we're going to, to never address fill in the blank hot topic then every week, then, then you're, you're probably at the wrong place. And so some people, some people are gonna, gonna ask, like, why don't, we talk about, why don't we talk about marriage and God's design? Why don't we talk about race? Why don't we talk about these things? Well, let me just say something. Like the, the Bible does speak to each of those things. It does, and it, and it will. And we will preach on those things. But hey, like, like I was saying a while ago, I've unfortunately have friends who did choose to make one of those topics just their weekly slam every single week and it just doesn't work. It, 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 just, it just doesn't, it's not healthy and it's, and it's allowing the culture to dictate the way that we communicate things. And so, hey, if I sound really scattered this morning, like it, it really is from a heart that, that just wants to love, like to, to love our people, to, to shepherd us and to pastor us. And so, this is, this is one of the reasons why, why I said what I just said. This is one of the reasons why it's generally our role to preach through the scriptures exposition, expositionally rather than topically. It's, it's really easy to create and to swing from series to series on our, on, our, on our own pet topics. 
But when we, when we preach the scriptures line by line, expositionally, man, there's just some things that we're not gonna be able to avoid. There's, there's some things that we're not gonna be able to, to avoid. And that's, a, that's an effort from us to be faithful to the scriptures. When, when there's a lot of things that would just, I promise you, be a lot easier to skirt around. And so the church, the, the, what's important is that, is that the church, this church at least, doesn't, there's some churches around. This church at least does not exist to serve as a favorite buffet item on your, on your search for the perfect church. Like this isn't, if, if, if you're like, well, you know, you know I've got, got my choices, I've got my options. Like this, this isn't that church. If we don't make you uncomfortable, better yet, the scriptures don't make you uncomfortable at some point by the teaching of its word, then I have just two recommendations. Repent, because you're probably at a church that doesn't preach the gospel. I mean, so I'm actually putting that on us first. Repent because you've been sitting around this gospelless church for way too long and you need to move on and find a church that preaches the gospel. Or you, or maybe putting personal responsibility on ourselves is you've created a, a, some form of God in your mind that isn't real, that, that never has anything to say that, that, will, that will call us into repentance or call us to change something. And as the declared king, Jesus in his sermon is declaring what life is in his kingdom. And we're just, we're just trying to set this up. And I know that it, again, it seems scattered and it's typically not the way we preach, but come back next week for that. As the declared king, what we've, what we've seen through the book of Matthew, Jesus in this sermon is declaring what life is in the kingdom. Who's the king of the kingdom of heaven that he's talking about? Easy answer, softball. Who's the king of the kingdom? Jesus. So as the king of the kingdom, Jesus, from his authority, is saying, this is what life looks like in that kingdom. And guess what? I've recommended a book to you before that that talks a little bit about authority. Jesus is, is our God, you know, the Trinity, is the only authority in all of history, in all of the world, whose authority is not derived from anything. Any other form of authority that you've ever seen, any other, either any other place of authority that anybody holds anywhere is an authority that was derived from someone else or something else. Our God's authority, he doesn't derive his authority from anything besides just it is who he is. And so Jesus, as the authority, as the king of this kingdom, is saying, this is what the kingdom is like. This is what life within that kingdom looks like. There's like, to, to, to use kind of terms that we might there's no sectors within that kingdom. There's, there's no districts. There are no denominations. There's, there's no votes in this kingdom. Like, this is what I declare about what life looks like within my kingdom. And this kingdom is a kingdom where Jesus is the king and the only admittance and allowance within this kingdom is obedience to the kingdom's king. And so that's the authority that's being established. And guess what? This king who has these, these, these parameters around this kingdom, can I just tell you, he's not abusive. He's not oppressive. He's, he's not harsh and he's not incapable of, of like all things that, by the way, when we look at our leaders are part of, incapability, harshness, um, abusiveness, oppressiveness, like they just are, are messed up. And the king of this kingdom is none of those things. 
He's perfect. He's worth following. He's worth submitting himself to. And so the priorities in this kingdom, they sound like two distinct priorities, yet they're one. And they're just this, his glory and our good. So what Jesus says about his kingdom, there's, there's two priorities there and there's two results of this kingdom. He's glorified and we live flourishing lives. We live lives of, of flourishment, of the way that Matthew 5, 1 through 12 puts it, blessedness. That's the kind of life that we experienced within this kingdom. And his glory and our submission to his glory is the height of the good and the flourishing that we can experience. And our good and our flourishing in this kingdom can only happen in devotion to his glory, submitting to him as the authority of this place. What we're gonna see throughout Matthew 5 is that your life and his glory operate well when, I mean, I'm I'm basically just gonna like bullet point the Sermon on the Mount, when we don't hide our light in a dark world. Matthew 5, 14. His glory and our good operate well when we are obedient to what he says. His glory and our good operate well when we don't live in anger, when we live sexually moral lives, when we remain true to the covenant to our spouse, when we keep our promises. I mean, he talks about oaths. He talks about let your yes be yes and your no be no. His glory and our good operate well in this kingdom when we forgive those who are hard to forgive. And so if you're, if you're like, man, all we're gonna talk about over the next few weeks is like the hard stuff. I would actually say that the things that, we're, the things that I've addressed today at, at some level are, are maybe a little bit more of the, more of the, maybe more of the clear things. It's, it's really when we get to forgiveness where you ask yourself, are you submitting yourself to the word of God? Are you submitting yourself to the authority of, of God's word and, and God's words when, when you forgive one another? God's glory and our good operate well when we love our enemies, when we are, when we are generous, when we pray. And, y- and y'all are gonna love this one because I know the background of so many of us. God's good and our God's glory and our good operate well when we fast. Like when we, when we cut something out in order to seek more of his presence in his face. I've, I've grown up in the Baptist church. I've never been called to fast. I won't say that. God's word calls us to fast. There's never been an emphasis on that. But we're gonna, like, we're gonna just kind of take some of the things in the sermon a little bit, a little bit literally, and we're gonna say, hey, like, we're just asking you to, we're asking you to fast. We're asking you to pray. It's because it's what God's word says. Not because it's what our denomination practices, but because it's what, his word says, God's glory and our good go well together when we keep our eyes on heaven, when we are not anxious and we trust him. Do you know that don't be anxious is a command? It's not a, I mean, that recently hit me reading through the sermon. Did you know not being anxious is a command that Jesus gives? God's glory and our good operate well when we're honest and real about our sin. When we're just, hey, man, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I'm not gonna try and hide it. God's glory and our good operate well when we rely on him, when we bear fruit, when we have genuine faith, when we tr- don't trust things besides Jesus and we ultimately submit our lives to him. And so just some really, really intentional personal questions for us as we enter into this incredible sermon by Jesus. First is this, will you submit yourself to Jesus? I mean, 
by God's grace, will you submit yourself to what Jesus has to say? Will you, will you obey what he has to say by God's grace? By the way, if you're willing to answer yes to these questions, would you submit yourself to him and would you obey him? If you're willing to answer yes, like I just wanna, wanna say before you do that, just not, I, would, I would recommend it. I really would recommend saying yes to it. But let me just, here's like some small print. Not that the Bible needs small print. If you answer yes to this, you are also acknowledging and very likely agreeing to change something in your life over the next few weeks. Like, here's, here's just like one small thing that, that, that I've, I've, I've heard and, and may really need to be a consideration, maybe even for myself. For some people, that could mean uh, I'm getting rid of my smartphone. I'm getting a dumb phone. Because <laughs> God's gonna talk about lust. And God's gonna say, hey, man, you, you look really good on the outside that you've never you know, physically been unfaithful to your spouse. But I tell you, I'm looking at your heart. I see, I see your eyes, I see your mind. So I mean, like, I'm just saying there's some actual tangible things that could change if we say yes to this. That, that I'd, get, I'd, get rid of, I'd get rid of this or I'd at least change the way that I interact with it and, and dumb, dumb it down a little bit. And we could, we could talk about a, a lot of different things and we'll get there. The next question I have is, is will, will you show me and anyone else in this, in this place grace and charity as the one that God has just chosen to teach some of these truths? Like, like if you have a question, if I, it's very likely I, that I will stick my foot in my mouth at some point. It's very likely that I will come across um, either more harsh than I intend or come across more confusing than I, than I wanna be. Like if you have a question, will you come and, and talk? Like it's actually a command of scripture. If you have a problem, go, let's go to them. Would you do that? And would, by the way, would you not send me a text at like 2 a.m. saying, hey, bud, we need to talk? Like that's just sins. That makes me anxious. That makes me disobey God because then I get anxious. And I'm like, oh gosh, what, you know, I'll meet you right now. I can't wait. I'm one of those guys. Like I got to deal with it now. So don't send me a text. Hey, bud, we need to talk. Some of you are going to do that to be funny. Don't. Um, <laughs> don't do that. If, 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 there's, if there's something that comes across in a certain way, or, hey, man, it is, it is my prayer that everything we teach be rooted in God's word, but I, I, I can almost promise you there's, there's going to be something that's like, you're like, that's borderline heretical right there. Like, let's have a conversation. Let's, let's talk. I, I believe it's uh, a, a good, faithful preacher named Stephen Lawson. Um, he says, the problem with pastors today is that no one wants to kill them anymore. <laughs> That's the problem with pastors today. Nobody wants to kill them. It's a funny quote, and it's partly true, but it's certainly not my goal to make you want to kill me. But I think if we submit ourselves to the word of God, hey, man, like, there's a reason they killed Jesus, because they, they don't like what he had to say. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to try and preach Jesus by his grace in fact, like I said, it's not, it's, that's so much not my goal that, like I said, this, is, this, is, this final version is probably like the fourth or fifth edit of the sermon, just so that I didn't say things in a, in, a, in a harsher way or a more unmerciful way. There were just so many things that though they needed to be said, they needed to be said with care and concern for your soul. Hey, that's one of the, again, I'm trying to wrap this up. This is, this is one of the, the, the really sad things that I saw throughout 2020 and 2021 with, with pastors in the pulpit. They had built such good, trusting relationships with their people. And they, 
and, and like they, they trusted them. Like their, their people trusted them and they trusted their people. And they got up into the pulpit and they, man, they, it, they became a different person because they were so connected to this. And the, the pastors themselves were allowing culture to dictate the way that they faithfully preach God's word. And if you want to, if, you, if you're like, man, you keep talking about this. Let's, I, I want to know. I'll, I'll tell you off the stage like what I'm talking about. But I, I, want, I want this to be a room of trust. Like all of, pretty much all of you, unless you're somewhat new, like you have my phone number. Like you know where I live. None of that stuff's secret. Uh, you, you, know where, you know pretty much how to get a hold of me throughout the week. Like I'm not inaccessible. That's, that's the other thing that a lot of these, these preachers that kind of became this, this, this person that allowed culture to dictate what they say, they, they really closed themselves off. They became inaccessible. So the question that I ask of you must also come with a commitment from me. I'm asking you these questions, a commitment from me. First is to unapologetically preach God's word. We're just gonna preach the word. But second is, is to not attempt to be the Holy Spirit in your life. Right, that's, not my, that's not my goal. That's, that's, that's not my goal. I'm gonna passionately preach with conviction, but I'm also gonna be the, I'm gonna also commit to being the first to repent when necessary. Like repentance is something that should be present in us as a people, as a church. We are, we are all in this together. And so I know some of this is heavy, but, but I genuinely feel like this is some of what we are up against when seeking to embrace and submit to all that Jesus has to say. These are some of those things. And if I can just break it down and, 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 and make it as simple as I can, that, that we would not allow what we like or what we don't like that's coming from the culture to dictate how we feel about certain things, but we start with the scriptures. And that's, that's it. Disciples of Jesus, they trust Jesus. Disciples of Jesus, they follow Jesus. Disciples of Jesus, they obey Jesus. And then they do a lot of repenting when they don't. They do a lot of repenting. There's a, there's a lot of repentance within true followers of Jesus. And so the good and exciting news with all of this, as heavy as some of this may feel, the good and exciting news in this is that Jesus will completely change your life. He will completely change your life, again, for the good. These chapters, the sermon will do something to you. Jesus's words are life changing. You have zero reason to fear in following and obeying Jesus. Now, you hear fear, and, and you think, oh, so I, I can stay the way that I am. I don't change because I'm kind of a planner. And I, the thing that I fear most is plans changing. No, that's not the fear I'm talking about. Plans will change. Your life will change. But he will not let you down. He will not abandon you. He will not, nothing that he does within you will be harmful to you, though it may be painful. Jesus fully intends that his words and his word be taken seriously. I, I was reading something this week that kind of talked about throughout church history, the way that people have tried to interpret the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, any, any, any and we'll, we'll talk about maybe more in depth about this next week, but, but anything from like the early church to the Reformation to, um, to, the, to the, the post-Reformation church to um, just kind of the, the free church to the dispensationalist view to the reformed view to all these things, all the ways that they've tried to interpret. And, and it was really interesting seeing this chart laid out because essentially what the point was is that all of these people have gotten really creative in trying to come up with ways for us to not take Jesus' sermon seriously. 
Kind of the, 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 the idea of the Reformation was, you know, well, you know, kind of Reformation stuff, right? Like all grace, all grace, all grace, which, hey man, that's us, all grace. But one of the things that they say is like, Jesus taught this in order to show us that we can't do it. So let's not do it. And then there's, there's other interpretations throughout scripture. What I'm just gonna come and say, and I'm just, what I'm gonna say is we're just gonna take, take this at its, at its word. And we're gonna say, we're gonna obey it, whether it's for us or not. We're gonna, we're gonna obey what God says. We're gonna acknowledge that he has the authority over our interpretation. He has the authority over our lives. He has the authority over what we, how we react and how we respond. And this is what he's saying. This is what life within the kingdom looks like best. This is how that operates. Again, Jesus fully intends that his words be taken seriously, so seriously that he promises that for those who obey and follow him, they will live lives with true meaning and true fulfillment. True meaning and true fulfillment. He's, he's gonna say in, his, in the Beatitudes, blessed are those. Essentially what he's saying is, you are going to experience the fullness of life when this is true. He's not gonna say you're gonna be blessed in your bank account. He says the fullness of life happens when you are meek. The, 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 the fullness of life can come to you in your moment of, of mourning because you will be reminded of what God provides for us in his son, Jesus. We'll get into that in the coming weeks, but I'm just gonna ask us to stand and we're gonna pray together. Would you just like ponder some of these, these commitments? Would you ponder some of these questions I've asked? Would you, you know, would you submit your life to Jesus? Would you obey Jesus? Would you show grace? Would you show mercy to yourself and to one another, to me, to, to those around you, to those in your home and in your family? A lot of surrender is happening. A lot of, a lot of surrender is the right response to this. And so that's just what I'm asking, asking for all of us to, to, to really consider. And so maybe just take, maybe just take um, a couple of seconds and just you ask the Lord to help you in these things. spirit that dwells within every life of your children um, would, would would convict us would would cause us to see what the whole counsel of your word says to love to bear with one another and so Lord I, I, I just confess here even my own my own feelings of inadequacy, my own feelings of um, inadequately communicating the truth of your word. And, and put a whole lot of trust right now in the spirit of God that dwells within every believer in this room that, that, that you, would, you would just convict and challenge and shape us the way that, that you want us to be shaped. So, Lord, you know my heart. You know the desire of this church even to be faithful, to, to look at what your word has to say and to desire to be faithful and obedient to it.
And so I just thank you, Lord, that, that we walk together um, as, a, as a group of, of people seeking to, to follow and obey you. Uh, may, may these temptations that we've talked about this morning be, be temptations that we, that we, that we resist, that, that though these temptations are, are very real and present, that we would, that we would resist them with, with a lot of passion and a lot of fervor and a lot of reliance on your spirit to guide us. Um, would, would you help us um, to, to commit our way to you as your word does tell us to, Lord? We know that, that we're weak and that we're frail, but we also know that Peter tells us that your, your divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so, Lord, we, you've, you've, your word tells us that when tempted, we're, we're given a way out. Would you, would you um, help us to obey you when, when maybe throughout what your word tells us, when something needs to change, when something really tangible needs to change, when something needs to be surrendered, when something needs to, needs to, needs to change within us? We pray that you would give us the power to do that. Lord, as we come to the table now, Lord, we, we, we know that the reason why we come to the table is fundamentally because we are, that you are good um, and that we are sinful people. And that at this table, we're reminded that, that your goodness and our sinfulness, that, that your goodness dealt with our sinfulness through the, through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. And so we come open-handed, we come empty-handed, acknowledging that, that we need something outside of us to come and to make us new. And that was what was imputed to us through the blood of Jesus. And so, Lord, we, we, we come to you now um, needy. We come to you now examining our own hearts, asking that you would, that you would make us new. In your name, amen.